This is Coda Radio, episode 92, for March 10th, 2014. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our three fine sponsors, GoDaddy, Ting, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. How you doing, Chris? <laughs> Hello, close talker. Oh, yes, we're up close and personal with microphones tonight, baby. Wow. This is getting really weird. You sound Actually, when you when you work it like that, you sound like you're in the room with me. I mean, of course you are. Only you're on the East Coast. Wait. So, wait, wait. You like it when I work it like that? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh. I mean, uh, technically, I like the way it sounds, <laughs> but I don't know if I like all the other stuff that comes with it. <laughs> well, it's a little awkward right here at the, at the top of the show, Mr. Dominic. <laughs> you made well, the chat room blush. A- you made me blush. <laughs> Probably just go ahead and move on to some feedback. That's at this not point. you know this whole episode is going to be like this. First of all, yeah. uh, kind of I don't know. It's either going to be a really long show or a really short show. I, I couldn't tell you. You think long after all hard, these years? That we don't... <laughs> oh man! Hello everybody. Yeah, hello, hello. So welcome to Coda Radio ninety two, everybody. We're doing a call in episode this week, and it's been already. It's been a fun pre show, and Mr. Dominic is calling us from uh, Fingertip HQ. Damn right. I mean, I, I, cause see, Fingertip Tech HQ, that's a little bit of a mouthful. I think you just need to call it Finger HQ. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Let's, uh, let's just get out of here. Get out of here. All right, so let's start with uh, our first email this week, and it came from Avid. And uh, Avid writes in, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right. He says, hey, Chris, hey, Mike, it's Av... Stop. It's AD, your local JB viewer, your... Your loyal JB viewer again. He says, I have a question about Git workflow. Now, get ready, Mr. Dominic. He's picking your brain here. He says, here's my workflow. I pull from Bitbucket. I bring that down to a local working directory, make my changes. I do a local commit, and then I push it back to Bitbucket. Everyone keeps tabs of the changes that happen on the Bitbucket repo, so we all stay synced. Many times, I've seen the create a pull request option, even when using Bitbucket, and I don't understand when one would use it. Thanks. Any reply would be appreciated. Avid. Avidad. Avidad. Ah, dang it. AD. So, Mr. Dominic, I know you worked with Bitbucket a bit. Do you have any uh, advice for uh, AD here? Yeah, so per request is basically just requesting someone else to merge your code from your branch into another branch. Um, So you would use it if you were doing code reviews via pull requests, which is what we do here at Fingertip, right? We're using GitHub right now, but it's the same process in Bitbucket. So, you know, developer A sends, um, let's say, the master or the dev branch a pull request. Some other developer reviews his code and then clicks the button to do the merge. That's it. There you go. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully that is a help. Finari, I think it's how you say it, writes in. He says, hey, Mike, just wondering if you've heard of Stipey or Stippy. It's S-T-Y-P-I. You can find it at code.stypi.com. Basically, here's, it's a web-based, real-time team collaboration for 27 different programming languages and plain text. He's been using it for a while. It's free so far. It does have a service that says may subject to change depending on circumstances. Here's how you use it. You go to the website, you copy a link provided, and, or hit the share button, and you're done. Sounds, almost sounds like Google Docs in a sense. 
It's basically just plain text collaboration, but selecting a language will ch- will set up a color code and keywords. Without signing in, you can work with one-time session. If you sign in, though, you can save your work, and you also have another sharing option. You can team collaborate in real time, sign in not required, uh, or they, you can work and you'll see the person you know, signed in. There's a play button too, so you can you can see the play version of the changes to easily track the changes made. Um, and it says it does not come with a with a build, debug, run. That obviously pretty difficult online. It can tell you. I can't tell you much about the site because I can't look at their code right now. But I'm going to take a look at it right now because <clears throat> to me it almost sounds like Google Docs with uh, syntax highlighting. Oh, yeah. well, here we go. Here we go. So that yeah. Here we go. Oh, so this I is had nice. A, I had actually used something called. And we lost you. I'm back. Okay. I, I hit the wrong key. Okay. Which we had as a tool of the week uh, in one of the early shows. What was it called? I missed that Cloud part. Cloud 9. I just threw oh, it yeah. into the chat. Cloud 9. Sure, I remember that. It's the same idea as this Google Docs for code editing, but it has the Heroku deployment, uh, some other deployments, the actual build and run process, the debugger right in the cloud. Oh, wow. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. So this is like the fancier version of what, what you're suggesting. Um. I mean, if, you, if you're that into the cloud, both of these are cool options. One's obviously not free. Uh, but one, Cloud9 is also a little more powerful. So I'm working with people in the chat room right now on this one. It's actually pretty neat. It seems to be, uh, it seems to be working pretty well. Yeah. I can see where they're at in here. I'm wondering where I set the uh, syntax highlighting. Oh, okay. Here, code, plain text. Oh, shoot. They support markdown. Oh, shoot. Oh, no. Uh-oh. I gotta warn you. This is actually this might this could be a Google Docs killer in some ways because Ooh, I mostly use Google Docs to write Markdown, and it would be kind of nice to have syntax highlighting. Code.stypi.com. Other um, languages in here they have uh, just support for XML files, C sharp, C plus plus, Cold Fusion, CSS, HTML, Java, JavaScript, Objective C. Oh, yes. Python, PowerShell, PHP, Perl, Scala, SQL syntax. XML files. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's some good stuff. Um, <clears throat> this would also be an interesting way for shows like ours to have people take notes of like stuff we talk about that we don't normally link to and, and whatnot, and then we could just take the markdown from this and put it in the show notes. It's pretty cool. So yeah, somebody in there knows markdown. Of course, none of these people are registered. Well, that's really neat. Thanks for sending that in to us. I'll, uh, I'm going to bookmark this right now, and I'm going to keep this up. You guys can keep working on there if you want. Just don't uh, do anything weird, okay? I got my eye on you. Do some freaky deaky stuff. In no, that don't encourage that, Mr. Dominic. Don't encourage that. Oh, I can get in there. You don't know it's me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, while you're trolling me, I want to tell you guys about something that's trolling the rest of the telco industry, and that is Ting.com. Go to Coderadio.Ting.com. Coderadio.Ting.com brings you right to a splash page that tells you almost everything you need to know. Boom, right there. 98% of people would save money with Ting. Now, here's a little secret that I think they should promote more. This is totally legit. If you have 10 or more devices, like in a small business, then 100% of people with 10 or more devices switching to Ting save money. Uh, And here's really why. Uh, You pay for what you use. It's $6 for a line. So you get a phone. It's $6 plus the associated taxes. All of the phones on that account share pooled set of minutes. So I, I mentioned the small business thing, but really... 
if you're doing software development and you're trying to target multiple types of Android devices, then you know, especially if your app requires any kind of data connectivity, maybe continuous data connectivity, you know that you have eventually at some point are going to get to the point where you have to test that on those devices out on an actual cellular connection. Otherwise, you're going to bring it back. You're gonna, if you if you never get to that point, then you're going to have all kinds of weird issues, especially if you have some sort of persistent connection. And this is where Ting can really help a developer scale because you can buy those devices. You own them outright, so you're not getting stuck into a contract for each device. That also means, like, for example, I have the HTC One. When Rikai starts working for us, I can give him that HTC One, and that's only going to cost me the $6 a month to pay for that account, then his usage on top of that. Ting will take his messages, his megabytes, and his minutes, whatever bucket he falls into. That's what Jupiter Broadcasting will pay. I don't have to worry about paying into some sort of monthly $60, $70, $80, $90, $120 plan that maybe I'm only getting $30 of value of, but part of that plan includes the cost of that phone. That's not a concern for me. Ting makes it all very, very simple. And if you go to coderadio.ting.com, they'll take $25 off your first device. If you already have a device, they'll take $25 off your first month of service. Coderadio.ting.com. They've got a savings calculator there. You click that, you'll see how much you can save. Um, if you're like me or my wife, it can be up to $2,200. For my, for, my, for my account, it was $2,200 a year. Or in two years. It was going to be $2,200 in two years. Well, that easily pays for the cost of the phone. Easily. And plus, I know I'm not stuck in any kind of contract. So if I ever did decide I wanted to go somewhere else, I don't have to hassle with an ETF. If you are stuck in an ETF now, Ting's going to help you get out of that. They have an early termination relief program. You go over to ting.com slash ETF. Just buy your device, port your number, submit your ETF claim. They'll play up to $75 per line that you have to get canceled. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Go over there. Check out that dashboard. Check out those devices. Read that blog. That blog's got great info on there. Even if you're not a Ting user, there's just good info on there. Like, they have great app picks and whatnot. Coderadio.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right, Mr. Dominic, we, uh, we, have, uh, we, have a, we have been joined by an esteemed group of Coder Radio listeners who are in the mumble room right now. And one of the gentlemen who has joined us this week is uh, Ludo, or Lado, I'm not quite sure. Well, I know I just asked him, but I forgot already. But he did something really cool. We recently talked about a web-based assembler for students. It was like, uh, um, it's like a, let's go, it's a full-fledged emulator even uh, it, it's 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 something I think we covered it two weeks ago in Coda Radio. Well, he's with us today to talk a little bit about it. So, Lodo, welcome to the show. Hello. So tell us uh, about YASP and what is it and what does it do and why did you make it? So YASP is an, a web-based emulator, assembler and debugger for a custom assembly language. So it's uh, not a normal assembler like Intel or, or ARM. But it's a custom one, which is really simple to uh, for students, so they can learn assembly easily. Very cool. And how? Do, so, what uh, what is it written in? How does it work? Well, it's web based, so it's written in JavaScript, and it does the full em- emulation. So, not just a, hmm. a simple simulator, but it really translated translates your code to binary code, and then just the emulate, which interprets this binary code. And it's all written in JavaScript. <laughs> How long did it take to make this? Well, like, um, we are a team of two. So me and my colleague, Robert. And it took us six months and a total of 300 to 400 hours. Wow. And uh, have you seen uh, traction with students? And uh, who's using this right now? Well, right now we have posted it, posted it to Reddit, and of course you talked about it. Mm-hmm. So we had like uh, ten thousand visits in total. Oh, good! We'll see how how many wizard, uh, how many 
real uses come out of that. It seems like but, a perfect thing for uh, people learning this kind of stuff. Demo.yasp.me is it takes you right to it, uh, and it it's 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 not just an interesting piece of technology, but it's also well designed. The interface is is clean. Um, I don't want to say minimal, but it almost is in a sense, but in a good way. It's 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 all very well done. Uh, did you do the design <laughs> Thank work? You. Well, yeah, we did it. We too. Well, so, so, what is the ideal use case for this, or is this kind of more of a for fun thing? It was the question uh, I had a few weeks ago. The ideal use ideal use case would be some teacher who wants to okay. learn his students assembly. So it just gets on there, tries it through a few programs or takes our sample programs and then uses these sample programs and the assembler, um, which we wrote, to teach the students assembly. Because uh, do you want a little, uh, a little bit, do you want to know a little bit about the history of the project? Or? Sure. Yeah, tell sure. us a little bit. Yeah. At, at, at our school, um, we, they teach assembly like, for the last 10 years they did it. And there was one teacher who designed a little piece of hardware, which also um, is able to run this custom assembly dialect. So this piece of hardware was used by the students to learn assembler, but the program with custom hardware is always that it breaks and there are bugs and it's not really nice to set up. So for each lesson, there were, uh, and the lesson is like 100 minutes long, and the students were fiddling around with the hardware like for 20 minutes so oh yeah each, of course each week uh, each week most of the lesson uh, gets like eaten up by the hardware setup so the and then we had the idea to simulate the whole thing do it in the browser so there's no set uh, well the setup is now like one minute <laughs> which is certainly better than 20 yeah for sure yeah, some right so <laughs> so and they're already using it right now in the lessons. Every week with like three classes, which is uh, 100 students or something. Now, would you picture like these schools um, taking the code and, and self-hosting it? Because um, I noticed it's, it's licensed under, is it the GPL3? Yeah. So is that what you, is that how you would, if you're going to look at this at scale and say maybe, maybe high school had programs based around something kind of like this, or it was part of a high school curriculum, would you see them, would you see it running off of, your system and a lot of people accessing it there, or do you think it'd be better if they downloaded the code, put it on their own web server, and hosted it on their LAN? Well, we would like them to host it on their own LAN, but if they don't have the possibility to do so, if it's a small school or something, um, they can, of course, use our version. The problem is just if our version is down, yeah, yeah. then... <laughs> No, Not that, that would ever happen, of course, no. Yeah. Oh, well, we are excellent <laughs> admins and... Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so yes, it, it would be nice if the the schools downloaded it and set it up. It's really easy. It doesn't really require server parts. So even a web hoster that does not allow any server languages, so just HTML files would be would be fine too. So right, right. Well, very cool. You can you can probably host it on JSBin or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I... if you really wanted to. <clears throat> That's awesome. So you were inspired for the educational purposes then. Yeah, it's from ground up built for the educational purpose. That's super cool. That's amazing. Uh, speaking of amazing, um, what's going on in this uh, shared uh, doc yeah. right now? Someone, I don't know, wrote like an Objective C class of you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, 
I got a secret. These Apple guys are just unbelievable. Um, uh, I, I'm glad that uh, we have if self dot hair is dot sexy in there. That's good. <laughs> yes. And it, it, so I don't know what happened because then at some point other people jumped in and now you're having another child. What? Oh yeah. no! Oh no! This is not good. This is not good. Uh, and there's other things going on in this doc that I'm not quite sure what I'm looking at. I think those might be dirty parts. I'm not sure. This is this has gotten crazy. But there is actually some actual decent markdown up here too. <laughs> so that's, someone wrote PHP code. Let me just go ahead and delete that. that. This is this is fun. This is really cool. Um. All right. So, anyways, uh, well, Ludo, thank you for coming on and sharing more about that. Uh, great work, and really, it, and also thank you for um, whoever submitted it to the Code Radio subreddit so that showed up on our our radar. That's a great example of how you can help uh, sort of. Shape the show, coderadio.reddit.com. That's something we covered a couple of weeks ago, and now we're chatting with one of the developers of it. And uh, there's all kinds of great things out there that we just don't have a chance to catch in a week, and you can help yeah. us catch those things. You can also email well, us. Thank you. Oh, yeah, you bet. <laughs> uh, you go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, and uh, choose Coder Radio from the dropdown. And to let us know your thoughts, because I'm going to throw a topic out. Mr. Dominic called this our most important topic of the week. I'm inclined to agree Mumble Room, uh, I'm going to let Mr. Dominic go first and then get your thoughts. So, Mr. Dominic, it has been announced that Keurig, the creators of the K-Cup, will use DRM in their new coffee maker to lock out the refill market. Reminds me of inkjet printers and uh, yeah. blocking uh, refills. This Is this a slippery slope, Mr. Dominic? This is a crime that should be tried in The Hague. <laughs> uh, this is unbelievable. Pretty, It's pretty egregious, isn't it? I love, you know, I have those plastic, reusable, uh, eco-friendly, you know, the fake K-cups where you can put ground yeah. coffee in. Yeah. I save a lot of money that way. Yeah, you, yeah, because, yeah, uh, you can save quite a bit. Um, you know, because sometimes I'm just not up for an entire French press. I mean, here at Fingertip HQ, we have two French presses. <laughs> and uh, that doesn't satisfy our coffee intake needs, unfortunately. hey oh. Yeah, I I also the pro, so the K cup you know it is pretty makes pretty terrible coffee, but the reality is is that it is super convenient, and I I don't I don't actually have a big issue with them doing this. I mean I think it's stupid and I think it sucks. I'm more worried about what this means in general for like these this type of market for devices for things like this. Yeah, is it going to be a situation where you know let's say you're a sick bastard and you enjoy uh, Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And they make Dunkin' Donuts K-Cups right now. Now, let's say Dunkin' Donuts makes a deal with a different uh, coffee manufacturer other than Keurig or Green Mountain Coffee, whatever they're called. Right. Does that mean you can no longer have your piece of shit Dunkin' Donuts coffee? I guess so. I think that's what that means. Uh, Mumble Room, what do you guys think? Is this, a, is this a slippery slope or are these guys okay doing this? Anybody think it's okay in here? No. No. No, not at all. <laughs> because yes. once this fully passes, you're going to have DRM in toasters. And then yeah. no one's going to get their chocolate spread on toast. Oh, now let's not get crazy, okay? Uh, you tell me I'm going to have to get the pop tarts okay with the chip. I'm okay with this. Really? Tell yeah. me why. Uh, because it will discourage people from drinking disgusting coffee. Huh. That's okay. You know, that there's is, that's true. There's already litigation going on about this. One company is already suing them for uh, basically locking out the market, and. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that, but you know, this is definitely something where uh, even the Department of Justice could get involved. You know, saying, "Okay, this is kind of a anti-competitive move." Well, yeah. uh, National uh, security. <laughs> well, the, the NSA needs their coffee. Yeah. The, thing, <laughs> the, the thing 
thing is, this has already been happening for a long time, and maybe not the the coffee industry, but the printer industry. I mean, Bro. buy any half decent HP printer, and you're going to be running into the thing where you they all have a little chip on them, and you know, even if they even if they have tons of ink in them, they're going to be dead in about you know six months, and it's just going to say it's too old. I'm surprised we haven't seen this in the mobile devices accessory market. I guess you kind of do a little bit with the uh, Apple. Yeah, you um, absolutely do it, Apple. It'll say, uh, even if they manage to... Get it working, of, if it's not certified by Apple. It, it'll pop up, yeah. accessory not supported, and it will refuse to work. But I'm just thinking, so. like, in the, like, so, you know, my uh, my Samsung Note 2, I, I think I could put any battery I want in that thing. Yeah. Um, but you could see how that's going to stop pretty soon, too. Like, that's going to start changing. Like, oh, yeah, it has a replaceable battery, but you have to buy the Samsung battery. Because it's got DRM in it, essentially. I just well, hate- as, some, as someone who can't currently put new RAM in some of his machines, uh, I would like this to stop. You can't put RAM in your machines? And the newer Macintoshes, you can't, no. Oh, wow. Especially, like, the laptops. I yeah, oh, yeah, a laptop yeah. from 2009, and only HP-certified, like, little um, Wi-Fi modules will work in it. That's... Oh. Which is really weird. That yeah. is really weird. That is really weird. Uh, you know, okay. Okay. Here's the big thing, mm-hmm. is that... Keurig's uh, cake patent expired uh, two years ago, so really, they uh, unless they renew their patents, they've got no legal ground to stand on. Well, they're going to redesign the uh, the the modules, and it's going to be some it's going to be something new. So they could either patent that, or they'll just you know. Make so it- what happens to someone like me who has a, a older Keurig machine at the office and one at home? Does that mean when I go to the grocery store now, the new cups are not going to work in my old machine? Possibly, yeah. That's ridiculous. I just got this machine like six months ago. Well, it'll probably be yeah, a transition see, period, but yeah. that means nothing. Yeah. I just got one for Christmas. So, yeah, right. I totally know where you're coming from. Yeah. I, that, but that it's not like these machines are cheap. These machines are $100, $80, whatever it costs. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's, that's, that's not acceptable. They, we should make those businesses fail. We should all. <laughs> I think that we should all make those businesses fail. I like that. Okay, so uh, before we move to our next topic... Uh, which is uh, kind of uh, it's kind of interesting because I have I have personally been burned by this one. I want to thank GoDaddy.com for sponsoring this week's episode of the Coder Radio Program. We got three dollars and forty nine cents dot coms for you, and they expire at the end of this month. So take advantage of this one. Coder three forty nine. That's your checkout code. Coder three forty nine. When you check out over at GoDaddy.com, find the right name right now. Get out there. Go own that dot com. It's your piece of internet real estate. If you've got a project, you got a blog. You got something you're working on, or if you just want to shorten a URL to something and forward it, like I got LinuxAfterParty.com recently. Linux After Party is like it was a super long Google event URL, and I was never going to give that out on air. And then Alan had the idea during text, and I was like, "Well, why don't you just register at LinuxAfterParty.com?" I was like, "Okay, code of three forty nine. I got the .com for three dollars and forty nine cents. Why wouldn't I do that?" You can also click the link on our show notes. That'll charge up your shopping session with the code of three forty nine code. GoDaddy is the world's number one domain name registrar. Now they're working with teams of small businesses like never before. So go over to GoDaddy.com and use the promo code CODER349 when you check out. And a big thank you to GoDaddy for sponsoring CODER Radio. Mr. Dominic, did I just hear a fan kick up over there? What was that? Are you on a, are you on a laptop, Mr. Dominic? I suspect you might I, be. I am not. I'm on a tower, <laughs> and my microphone was muted. Oh, well, then maybe, oh, maybe it's out my window then. Uh, okay, Whoops. okay. So you guys know about RubyGems.org? You're familiar with them, right, Mr. Dominic? 
They, you know, I, I may have gone shopping at the gem store, yes. Yeah, they just got smacked with a $7,000 Amazon bill. $7,000. And it, uh, they even, here's the PDF, which is kind of crazy. Here's the actual bill. Uh, I haven't gone through it fully yet, but uh, it looks like a lot of it was CloudFront. $1,000 went to CloudFront. Um, wow. Yeah. So region total uh, for bandwidth, they paid $3,500 in bandwidth for one month. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah. Uh, I'm not getting okay. Well, they used they used almost four. They almost used five terabytes worth of bandwidth. Still, yeah, so the, it's it's. I mean, no one's suggesting that Amazon is propping up the numbers here. If you go through it and you go through it, AWS charges. That's the right price. Like, yeah, they've earned that bill. The question I think people feel like, you know, every day if you use Rails, basically or really any kind of Ruby-based thing where you're using gems, you're probably hitting rubygems.org at some right. point. Right, yeah, I have, yeah. And, you know, you're not really, almost nobody's contributing back, and the reality is that it's like any large open-source project. If they don't get some sort of revenue stream or some sort of donation stream, they're screwed. So this is the, in this kind of case, it seems like their ongoing cost is is this bandwidth and this hosting. Um, and and uh, I... I I agree with you, but at the same time, I kind of look at this as sort of a bit of personal responsibility. Everybody knows that hosting on Amazon can get really expensive, or you learn really quick. I, b- I doubt this is their first big bill. It's not like they probably just all of a sudden had some sort of huge surge, right? Uh, I-, I know that just for myself, when I was experimenting with um, a remote auditing platform that we were setting up for a client, uh, and we set it up on EC2, because that's just what you did, I guess, and without even heavy usage, we got almost a $380, almost $400 bill, I think, with very minimal usage, just having a machine running, doing a few checks. And so these Amazon bills, they crop, they creep up on you super fast. And I, I feel like these high costs of Amazon and just sort of this, well, put it on EC2 mentality almost comes from this um, overfunded, VC-funded startup like club that's out there right now where these people have more money than, than they know what to do with because somebody just gave them a ton of money and they just go blow it on stuff like office chairs and EC2 hosting. And I, at some point I kind of look at Ruby gems and go, well, look guys, there are cheaper ways to do this. First of all, you could encourage the community to deploy more of their own Ruby gem servers and just distribute that load inherently just by doing that. Number And, you know, really push that. Make it good. Number two is don't host on EC2. Host somewhere cheaper, right? Hey, does it have to be there? What do, you, what do you think? I mean, does it have to be on EC2? No. I mean, that's kind of a facetious question, right? I mean, I can tell you that RubyGems has been around for a long time, and as far as I can remember, it's been on EC2, um, or as far as I was doing Ruby, at least. <clears throat> I, I guess, I mean, I don't feel horrible for him. Um, I mean, there. I, I agree with you. There was a time, uh, particularly a few years ago, when I was working with a lot of startups, that they would, did not consider other hosting options that didn't equal EC2. That's what I'm talking. That's that's the thing I'm talking about. And I think that's, you know, I think at the time that might have made more sense because EC2 was relative to your other options more convenient. Um, today, that's probably not the case, right? I mean, with things like Docker, you can get a nice DigitalOcean plug, plug, plug um, setup going pretty pretty efficiently. And the other thing is, if you're really optimizing for dev time, you don't want to do any of the Linux administration server stuff. Well, 
then you should probably be on Heroku, but understand that's going to be even more expensive than EC2 yeah. or Azure, which is the same deal. Um, I, I mean, I, I let me change to say the about question. This. Let me change the yeah. question on you. Is is there more responsibility in the open source community when they're relying on a community driven free resource like Ruby Gems? Is there more impetus on the people that are using that to set up their own Ruby Gem servers? Well, I think the issue is to to somehow change what they've been doing is would be a huge effort. I mean, you've got people submitting gems every day to Ruby Gems, right? That would be a massive undertaking. And is it easier just to come up with seven thousand dollars in donations? Hmm. Yeah. Because yeah, that's a good point. That that is that is true. Because if you got a, if you have that if you have a massive volume. Then the nice thing that EC2 offers you is the hosting and the storage are all right there, and the compute. Are right, and I think I think there's a fair argument to make that because of the scale that Ruby Gems needs to operate at, EC2's ability to scale up and down is probably you know scaling quotes right because there's no such thing as magic scaling. Mm-hmm. Um, probably makes a lot of sense. The problem is, you know, and how much of a problem is this? I mean, I don't think I heard anyone from the Ruby Gems community themselves complain that they can't pay the bill. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I look at this. The reason, the thing that worries me about it is, I, I just really want to encourage people to think twice about it. Um, and I don't know if they maybe they can cover their cost, but it can creep up on you so fast. You know, when I, I mean, really, I had a box that was doing very little, and uh, I got, I got stung. So I just, I like to, I kind of like to warn people a little bit about it because it's something I think people just kind of don't give enough thought to. And I'm looking right now to see if they've complained. I'm looking at their. I don't see any. I don't see any uh, any posts or anything like that, but I did that did come up in our Coda Radio community as folks were uh, caught that bill price. Just worry about them a little bit. I worry about them, I and I think about like uh, our friends over at the Docker Project. Yeah, and they kind of have this uh, check in check out system, and their infrastructure costs too. And again, it's one of those things that I th- I I don't know if they think a lot about now because they are so well funded. But down the road, when they need to start turning profits and things like that. They might regret not building in something into the infrastructure earlier on that helps reduce those costs. You know, if you if you become dependent on such an expensive platform. But here's the thing. I mean, Ruby Gems is not alone in the world, right? They're not some small open source project. In fact, they have some pretty beefy backers. Um, yeah, like uh, Zex is pointing out in the chat room, Python. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is a good example of that. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. So it really kind of comes like, okay, if you get popular enough where your bill's going to be that high, then you should be able to come up with some sort of way to cover those costs. Well, not only that, there are organizations that are, you know, where Ruby is an enterprise-style thing that they're using that just can't afford to let Ruby Gems fail. Right. So it's kind of like the Python's a great example. There are commercial companies that will just support the open source project because it makes good business sense. Well, and that's kind of how Ruby Gems is. I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And so then, so then the key is to that is become so damn valuable that you're too important to fail. Right. And that's not achievable for everybody. And that's, there's less and less of those kinds of opportunities available. Well, it's like the Linux Foundation cannot fail, right? It's just something that wouldn't be allowed to happen. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. All it's right. Well, <clears throat> while we're on this while we're on this line of thinking, I want to stop right here and thank DigitalOcean, another sponsor and a great way to save some money because you know what your costs are. This is perfectly fits in perfectly actually. Uh, what is DigitalOcean? It's simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. You can get started in 55 seconds or less and pricing plans start at only $5 a month. That'll get you 512 megs of RAM. 
a 20 gigabyte SSD, a CPU, and one terabyte of transfer for $5. You know exactly how much it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you $5. Also, DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam. They have a really simple interface, but it's powerful. It lets you take images, deploy ready-to-go images of machines, back up your own, move things around. Uh, they also have a straightforward API that you can take advantage of on your own. You can get started with a $10 credit, so you can deploy two so you can deploy DigitalOcean Droplet, the $5 droplet, for two months. For two months, you can just try it out for free if you use the promo code Coder Radio March. Coder Radio March to get that $10 credit. Try it out. See what I've been talking about. They have, I, I think, I've, well, I've been on there as long as they've been a sponsor, and I don't think I've had any downtime. And I've really noticed a difference. That, that SSD back drive, it really is fast. Uh, they have KVM virtualization. If you're a Linux fan, they're on top of great hardware, tier one bandwidth for the speed. They have private networking, which enables droplets to talk with other droplets in the same data center. Traffic sent between those droplets across the private network will not count towards your bandwidth costs. And they can be used for database replication, file storage, and similar host-to-host communication. You also have gl- global image transfer options if you want to move the machine around, and that simple API if you want to be able to just control some of that from and automate some of that uh, as you see fit. Also, congratulations, DigitalOcean. They just closed 3.7 or 37.2 million Series A round funding led by Anderson Horowitz and IA Ventures. 37.2 million. And uh, they are beefing up their staff, so they have a, a hiring uh, a button at the top of their page. You can check out their open positions over at DigitalOcean.com. But here's what I want you to do. Go over to DigitalOcean, try that promo code, Coda Radio March, get two months of the $5 rig, and see what we've been talking about. And they have hourly pricing if you just need to test for a little bit, and you can easily ramp that up if you need to scale and get more and more machine. DigitalOcean.com, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program, go use that promo code Coda Radio March. There's always something you could use something up in the cloud for. I mean, BitTorrent Sync, Calendar, Email, your own Git, whatever it is. I don't. I'm not judging. You want to go put that assembly uh, emulator on there? Do it. Get it done. Thank you, DigitalOcean, for sponsoring the Coda Radio program, and congratulations on that uh, funding. That's awesome, guys. Okay, Mr. Dominic, I have a bit of a sad topic. Um, Anybody, oh, let's ask the Mumble Room. Okay, Mumble Room, I'm asking you, get ready. Anybody in here know what Mozilla Persona is? Yes. 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 Okay, all right. Okay, good. Okay, well, now here's the bad news. Uh, Mozilla is ending, quote-unquote, ending support for Persona. Now, remember, we interviewed one of the developers of Mozilla, Mozilla Persona here on the Coda Radio program a, uh, a ways back. It looked like a pretty cool piece of tech to me, but Mozilla has announced it's transitioning Persona to community ownership, or in other words, dropping development support for the identity management project, as you might say. Um, what do you guys think, Mr. Dominic? Why did Persona fail? Uh, I think it's not in the interest of any commercial entity to support Persona. Well Sadly. said. Well said. Mumble Room, what do you think? Why did Persona fail? It was just well, a cheesy way of theming as far as I was concerned. No, you're thinking of the... Th- yeah, no, this is... Uh, so this was also, I think, part of their problem. So ah, dual identity. Right. There was they changed Persona. Originally, was the theming for Firefox. Then they renamed that, and Persona became an identity management system that was yes. used to log in across multiple sites or whatever. Yeah. So that in itself mm-hmm. is a problem, right? Yeah. Two products should have two different names. I mean, that's just silly. It's like pulling a Microsoft. But I, I feel re- like I mean, Exhibit A right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. I really liked Persona. We had them on the show. I was really enthusiastic about it, but it just didn't have the traction. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think because you have Twitter, you have Google, you have Facebook, they all really, really want to be your online uh, login system. Real you bad. You have OpenID, which you can host yourself, so... Yeah. Yeah, there's OpenID. OpenID also doesn't really seem to have gained traction, and I thought Persona was a bit of a uh, more refined system than OpenID in some sense for the for the user experience. Uh, and Ting used them, you know, uh, our sponsor Ting used them so you could log into your Ting account with Persona and they liked it. I talked to them a little bit about it and they thought it was a great system. Actually, OpenID, I think it really has taken off. It's just most people don't know that how many things use it. Your Google account is an OpenID account. Your, uh, I believe Facebook and Twitter are, is now. Almost all of these accounts that you have are OpenID, uh, Launchpad, if anyone has a Launchpad account, that's an OpenID account. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, it's everywhere. So you're it's saying just, I'm using it. I'm using it, and I don't know it. Yeah, it's it's probably your you, uh, Google. If you have a Google account, it's an Open ID account as well. It's Open ID compatible. So it's everywhere. It's just it's not talked about anymore. I guess I don't feel like developers are 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 using it though. I, I feel like everybody's just using Facebook login. Uh, that seems to be the big one, or Google login. Uh, I, I I don't really. I I don't really see like a lot of I I'm, I'm thinking like in the mobile space now I've never logged in with an open ID on a mobile device as far as I know it's always been like almost always it's my Facebook login yeah uh, and part of the problem is is those guys are getting the home turf advantage because they're getting like apps that are like tied down to the operating system level so I think uh, Mike you might have to correct me on this but I think on on iOS if you log into the Facebook app then other apps can authorize to that. Is that right? There's something like that? Um, so there's a thing in settings where if you authorize Facebook via that, other apps can pull it, yes. Okay. So then, now, like, that just doesn't yeah. that just sort of encourage developers to just want to use Facebook because they know it can be built into the platform in a sense? Well, I can tell you, when we're, when we're bidding out iOS apps, if the client accepts the native integration rather than making us do a full OAuth integration, we, we, that's you know, less expensive and, frankly, a lot easier for us. Because it's just a system called to iOS get Facebook account. That's the problem. That's the problem right there is that it is way cheaper for developers. And also, in some sense, uh, it's more secure because you don't have to worry about that authentication process where there's it's rife right. for some sort of security issue. You essentially outsource it. Right. And in that case in particular, it gives us the, well, Apple doesn't allow this, um, which is amazing. <laughs> oh, we can't do that. Sorry. Yeah. Apple doesn't allow it. That's a nice excuse. I'm a little sad to see Persona go, though, because I trust the Mozilla Foundation. And well, um, I, I think it's a step backwards uh, in terms of, you know, I, I like being able to do single sign-on with Twitter, with Google+, with Facebook for certain things. But sometimes I really would like to, to not have an account that's constantly stalking me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and also doesn't have a whole set of ulterior motives for having to be that authentication platform. And it's it's exactly. a, it's the new form of cloud lock-in. Like it, back in the '90s, we had everybody got locked into .dot doc and PDFs and PSD files, and that was the big vendor lock-in was the file formats. Well, now it's the cloud services are your lock-in, the login, the ID authentication system, or the Google Play services, or whatever it is that you become dependent on. Essentially, locks you to that platform provider. Forever, unless you, unless you, like in the terms of ter- changing authentication in your application, be it a web app or a mobile app, that is, that's almost, a, that's almost an, a, a non-starter because you'd have to have everybody recreate accounts somewhere or you'd have to have some sort of transitionary system out of, say, Facebook logins 
it's to me seems like once you've made that decision and maybe you have, you know, a thousand, ten thousand, thirty thousand, or even a hundred people using that, getting all of them to swap out the login system to something you've just created because you've decided you no longer like being tied at the hip to Facebook, that's not going to happen. You're done. You're set, right? Uh, it, it's, it's a challenging migration, to say the least, right? Mumble, how would you do that? Is that possible? Uh, just before we go on, uh, yeah. they've been screaming in, in IRC the past few minutes that apparently there is a replacement for Persona. The Firefox. It's being, yeah, yeah Firefox counts. Yeah. Apparently it's Firefox counts. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that in a second. I'm getting okay. there. I'm getting there. Sorry. So I know I, it's okay. I mean, I, am I wrong though? Is if could you switch out your authentication system, say from Facebook to Firefox accounts? Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked at their API yet. Uh, well, the way you would have to do it, I mean, the way at least we've approached it over here is that if you're using your Facebook or Google authentication just to pull the person's username and make them make a password on your own service, that that is the way that lets you, you know, migrate to other tools if you need to, right? Because basically all you're doing is calling their Facebook data to get the basis to create another account for them. Now, if you're just doing straight Facebook single sign-on, then you're stuck because you don't have that data. So I'll tell you something creepy about the Facebook sign-in. Is there is a TV streaming service out there <clears throat> that is meant for military members abroad. And it's it's a full-fledged cable TV streaming service, kind of like Aereo, but without the antenna gimmicks. Um, and if you sign in with your Facebook account, it has two options. You can create an account which they will then store in plain text. I, I know this based on how they email you the credentials to and how you reset your password. Or you can, so it's insecure to save your account there because they store your password in their database in plain text. Or you sign in with your Facebook account. But if you sign in with your Facebook account without ever clearly telling you, they then analyze your location information from Facebook and your contacts location information and use that to determine if you're in the U.S. or not. They don't tell you they're doing that, but somehow because you logged in with your Facebook account, they have access to that information. And so they, were, they went through and banned accounts based on the location information that people were providing to Facebook, not to this service, but because you logged in via Facebook, this service was able to extract that information, my location information, and deactivate the service. That's pretty creepy. And that's an example of how all of these apps and all these web services tying to Facebook could be a really bad thing down the road. And so Firefox accounts is coming around. I don't think this is a full replacement. I think this is more. I could be wrong about Firefox accounts, but my understanding is and, and this is how this is how this is right from the Mozilla blog. They say today. We're, interna- we're introducing Firefox accounts as a safe and easy way for you to create an account that enables you to sign in and take your Firefox with you anywhere. With Firefox accounts, we can better integrate services into your web experience like the new Firefox Sync. This is, in my opinion, a more limited in scope. This is about signing into the Firefox browser, and this is about signing into Firefox OS, whereas Persona was about having a, a, a login authentication system for the whole web to use. I don't believe Firefox accounts is that, although maybe you could authenticate against it if somebody wrote a plugin or something. I could be wrong. So I, I feel like I feel like Persona going away is a much bigger deal than we realize. And yeah, it's going to be in community ownership, as Mozilla puts it. But I think that's just a way for it to be fading. Unless unless somebody came through I mean, you have to have you have to have almost a big web brand to push something like this. Somebody that's got a Mozilla or a Google level brand with trust 
and recognition if it's if you're if you're pushing an authentication system. And I almost wonder, you know, if it's community ran, I, I think that torpedoes it potentially. Especially as we move closer and closer where Facebook and Twitter and Google have all this locked down. Well, isn't community run a euphemism for dead? Life support? Uh, I don't know. It depends on the community, really. You could have really active communities that come in and, you know, take it in a whole new direction. But I feel like it's you need this almost the sales end of it that that the brand brings. I mean, I can tell you as a commercial developer, it is super attractive just to use Google's, you know, Google Plus sign in, Facebook's sign in, because it's, it's a competitive market and it's easy to implement and it's fast to implement. So here's what they say. Uh, so why? So <clears throat> this is on the Firefox uh, identity.mozilla.com blog. Why doesn't Firefox use Persona? Firefox accounts use Persona. They say each project addresses addresses very different needs. Persona is designed to be a dead simple email verification tool, while Firefox account is a full fledged persistent account system. By developing them separately, we're able to keep each project lean and focused. For instance, it is possible that Firefox accounts will use Persona for email verification in the future. I don't know. I, I'm I'm at a loss. So I don't really know where the, where we stand now. I'll put a link to this in the show notes if you guys want to read more. It's pretty it's pretty interesting times we live in, and uh, also kind of interesting that Microsoft doesn't have a huge presence in this. Now that I think about it, they tried with Passport. They you know remember like everybody remember Passport? Like they tried early on. They were one of the first to try to create an online identity. Um, but uh, I don't know what I guess people just didn't like the implementation there. There, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Probably a little ahead of its time. Yeah, I don't. I, I always wonder about that with Microsoft stuff. If it, if it was ahead of its time or if it actually missed the right note. And I think, like, I look back at tablet PCs, and everybody's like, "Oh, well, Microsoft was just ahead of their time." I think they built the wrong product. That's definitely true in that case because that in that case it it was clunky, like the screen around and you had to use a stylus is it was really yeah clunky. i mean they were they were it, just scaling down the windows interface even with the start menu and the control panel and well, in some cases not even doing that i was when i worked for a university um setting up video conferencing i had a tablet pc and man that thing i mean compared to current tablets was heavier than a brick <laughs> I, I felt like i was bringing around a cinder block with me but still uh it it was just like i always had to have that stylus and oh i left that stylus in my office great i can't do anything now i'm screwed (laughs) yeah oh it looks like i have to turn it around and actually use it like a laptop which is why i think would be more convenient at that time that is a bit of a design flaw yeah uh, all right. Well, I, I, that's all my topics for this week. It's a shorter show. Thanks. You know, we had a pretty good mumble turnout considering that it is the Monday after Daylight Savings, which in retrospect was the worst time to ever have a call-in episode ever. Yeah, that was a poor poor planning decision on our part. But I do appreciate those of you who showed up. Uh, it was it was great to see you. And we also forgot to mention it last week. So in the future, yeah. we'll give you a week's heads up and uh, we won't do it during Daylight Savings where you want to call in. I want to check back in, though, before we get out of here uh, with our – how do you say Is it Stipey? Stippy? 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 I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff going on here. The name the name is a little rough, but uh, this is uh, gotten to be a little out of control. <laughs> I see some dubstep Allen in here. I, I'm digging this uh, this implementation of Chris. Uh, yes. We have some NSA logging in here. Nice. Oh, I see. You're outputting to the NSA log with a little go to fail line here. That's nice. Uh, arch uh, looping. Looping arch is fun. Very good. Very good. Um, so there, I, I'm going to save that. I might use that in the future for collaborative uh, markdown editing. It does preview too. 
Oh, if I hit the I Oh, look at that. Look at that. It rendered it out to preview. Although it doesn't know what to do with your Objective-C in a Markdown document. Well, Objective-C <laughs> is the right answer. Well, okay, hold on. So if I change this to Objective-C, let's see what happens. Does it redo it live? Let's see, Objective-C. Okay. Uh, okay. Oh, you can't do the preview, of course, with Objective-C. <laughs> but it did. It does. Uh, yeah, okay. Now, now, now it knows what's up. That's good. Going back to Markdown. Does that change it for your view too, or is it stay whatever no, you have? I, I think it's just you. Just yeah. yours. Oh, that's interesting. So you could look at it at Markdown, and like, or in Objective C, and I could look at it in Markdown. Well, that's cool. Code.stypi.com. If you guys want to check that out, all right, Mumble Room. Well, thanks for joining us this week, you guys. And uh, here's what now. Here's what we got to ask the audience at home. Send us your emails. Give us something to chew on. We want to talk about it here on the Coda Radio Show. We like to spend the first bit of the Coda Radio program reading your feedback. So email us, CodaRadio at JupiterBroadcasting.com, or even better, click that contact link at the top of the top of the Jupiter Broadcasting website and send your email in to us so we have a little something to chew on next week. Mr. Dominic, where should we send people to, you know, look look into what you're doing throughout the week? You can find me at DominicM.com or FingertipTech.com. Nice, and uh, nice successful broadcast out of the new office, sir. Well done. I'll be making the move soon myself. I got um, starting all that work right now. It's crazy. It's a lot of work to move. I don't envy you. But you don't have to worry about that, audience. We'll just keep broadcasting every single every single week like we always have. So thank you for joining us right here over at uh, Coda Radio. Don't forget to join us live over jblive.tv at 9 a.m. noon Eastern and jblive.info for the audio stream emails. Click that contact link. And don't forget about that subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>